on today's episode. But also food costs a lot of money. And like what we're experiencing right now is like 20 and 30, sometimes 50% surges in food costs. The whole supply chain is pretty jacked up. How it's all going to pan out, I, I'm not quite sure. I think delivery is still going to stay strong. I don't think it's going anywhere. Our delivery sales here have gone down by maybe 10%, but they're still so strong. Welcome to the Active Share podcast that explores less obvious investing insights in a world that's always changing. I'm your host, Hugo Scott Gall. Today, I am delighted to have with me Chef CJ Jacobson. CJ is the chef partner at restaurants Arba and Ema, located in Chicago. Before beginning his culinary career, CJ attended Pepperdine University in Malibu on a volleyball scholarship and played for the U.S. national volleyball team. He later attended Le Cordon Bleu Affiliated College of Culinary Arts in Pasadena. He's appeared on two seasons of Bravo's Top Chef, most recently winning Top Chef duels in 2014. CJ has also participated in the James Beard Celebrity Chef Tour, and he's starred at the world-renowned Copenhagen restaurant Noma. CJ, welcome, and thank you for being here. Thank you for being the first chef on the show. Oh, thank you. I'm flattered. Thanks for having me. Let's start at the start. The last thing I want to ask you, because I don't actually know that many chefs, and hopefully we're going to become friends after this, but I really want to know about your your kind of journey. I know you did volleyball. We've already talked about that and flagged that, and that is interesting. I want to talk about that. But right. Did you always know you wanted to be a chef? When did you realize you wanted to be a chef? What did you, when you were 10 years old, what did you think you wanted to be? Uh, 10 years old, I think I was still wanting to be Indiana Jones or a, like some sort of astronaut, but had a, some sort of fighter pilot in space. That's what I wanted to be. I was a very creative kid, that said, and I was always drawing or building something. So I think I always needed some sort of creative outlet. And as I got older and as I got more athletic, I'm very, very tall. I'm six foot eight. You can't tell that from me here. We're looking at each other. I'm much shorter sitting. But as I got taller and more athletic, I kind of went in a direction that sort of satisfied a lot of those, a lot of uh, the things around me, things I was into at that time. So to answer your question, I think the first time I wanted to be a chef, I would find myself wandering around restaurant supply stores because they had all these cool pots and pans they had all these gadgets and I'd pick up the pans and I'd start feeling it. And I was watching all these cooking shows at the time and it was sort of flooded me with, I think just like kind of emotion of like the synergy of the academia, the history, the science, how beautiful it is. And in the end, I get to actually give what I make to somebody. And like, that's when I decided that I'm going to give this a shot. I was around 23. 24, which is a little late to get a start. And I guess that's around about when you were sort of hanging up your volleyball kit. So I guess volleyball to chef is not, seems to me there is a connection. I'm sure you deliberately didn't make the connection, but you're in a high performance environment. You're part of a team. Right. Is that right? Is that relevant? It's absolutely relevant. I think that what's amazing, and I'm sure we'll touch on this throughout, but team sports, you learn very, very quickly that you, you're doing a job together. And that I don't need to like that person next to me. And it's very, very obvious. I think in a working environment, it's a little less obvious. And people struggle with that quite a bit. And the team mentality isn't there right away. And does that really follow through in, into the kitchen? I guess we all know a lot more about kitchens now. There are way more right. TV programs about kitchens. And they seem to be very hard and tough places. How do you foster teamwork in places that are really quite 
kind of hostile or maybe they're a bit hostile less hostile than they used to be but they're still tough places to be but without teamwork it grinds to a halt right yes it absolutely grinds to a halt it's it's not just that they are tough there is a lot to accomplish a small amount of time and a lot of the work done is sometimes you come in a couple hours early and you stay a couple hours later and it develops like a camaraderie and it almost forces you into that i think in a team sport you have you have an obvious goal and sometimes in restaurants, you don't have that goal, so it's tougher for it to come together. You can tell people that have played team sports because they don't mind like being arm-to-arm next to someone in a, in a space where they have to do something or achieve a task instead of kind of being bothered by it right away. I find now I'm not in like the crazier, harder kitchens I was, say, 15 years ago. So there's a newer group coming up, and I always try to hire people that played sports because they get along much easier. They understand sort of... We're all in this together. It's all a team sort of goal. And I think, you know, it's, it's kind of obvious in a way. That all makes sense. And you can see in our industry as well, there's a reasonable correlation between people who do well in our industry and who've done sports as well. I guess there is a difference there. In, in sport, you're kind of crescendoing. You might be competing once a week. You might even be building towards a tournament every year or every two years. In a kitchen, you've got to do it every day. Yeah. And oftentimes... We have recovery days that are like as important as practice days in sports. You know, you have to take that day or else you won't really be able to perform. You know, you see it happens with like pitchers in baseball. It happens with many athletes. That's why you just don't play game after game after game. But in kitchens, our restaurants open lunch and dinner every single day. And sometimes the chef has to work seven days a week. I think what sports teaches you is like a mental toughness, sort of like a just a foundational layer of what hard work is. And it's, it's done in a way where you don't, I think when you're younger, you learn how to do team sports and like, well, I have to work hard to get here. And it's a little bit more, you can, you can analyze it more when you're in a place and you just enter a kitchen. And we're getting a lot of people that like for the first time are cooking in our kitchen. So we have to teach them from, like, from, from the very beginning and it's intimidating and there are many, many factors. Yeah. In a minute, I want to get onto creativity and process because a common thread running through our podcast series has been a, a lot of focus on, on process and particularly creative people, what is their process, how they do it. But before we get there, just a bit more maybe on related to teamwork, and I guess you touched on it a bit, is hiring. How do you, we look for people who are good at sports for sure, but how do you assess people who can make it in a kitchen? How do you work out whether they've got what it takes, whether they've got the genuine curiosity, hunger, right. resilience? Those things are all, we know they're important, but they're hard to test for. They are indeed hard to test for. I think the most important thing for us, and I don't mean to jump ahead to COVID times and how we're dealing with that, but this now more than ever, COVID times, it said between 20 and 30% of people that work in restaurants and hospitality have left. So I kind of believe most of those were back of the house because if you have time to think about it, wow, like why am I working so hard if they're not really uh, not passionate about it? So when I hire someone, the most important thing is do I like them? I think that's most everywhere. With our company, are they a good person and do you like them? Because you got to spend a lot of time almost too much time with people. As far as curiosity and passion, I like to deliver that, but I can't, I also know that I can't spread myself too thin. Like I have a lot to give, but we need to make sure like when we get the right person in the door, if we like them more, we're more obviously apt to care for them. And we ask them to also care for themselves, but I think I'm going up course a little bit. I I was just asking, I think the eternal difficult hiring question, which is, 
some things you know are important and they're easy to measure and that's fine some things you know they're really important but they're hard to measure and they're hard to spot and it and i think in different industries you often get similar answers which is you kind of just know and after a while you've seen enough you recognize these qualities even if it's more gut feel than a precise calculation right and i think gut feels is a huge part of it i try to get to know the person a lot and there's a few ways i do that one is do i like them and I can find that out just by, you know, my sequencing of questions. I oftentimes will ask them, what do you like to cook? And from that answer, I can kind of tell how far along possibly they are. And if they say, oh, I was inspired by this Thai dish I had last weekend. And it's my third time to this restaurant. I really try to explore the menu. I'm like, wow, that's fantastic. What'd you have? How'd you make it when you came home? How'd you interpret it? Is this thing? Then you can see like, there's a real interest there. If there's not a real interest there, it doesn't mean that they're not going to be a good employee. A lot of people take hospitality jobs because they want a job and they want kind of that nine to five, 40 hours a week job. And that, you know, once I got out of like more fine dining kitchens where everyone's chalked in there and really banging heads to get to the, because they want to be the chef or get as much information as they can. That's kind of like a period of time. I think in a chef's career, you find that there's lots of different types of restaurants and there are employees that aren't just trying to be the best they possibly can. So you have to be kind of aware of those go-getters and also the employees will that will hold down a station, show up on time, and be part of your engine. That all makes sense. As I said, I want to get onto creativity and process. So right. is it fair to sort of not reduce, but summarize and try and capture what you do as perfection alongside discipline, organization in the midst of semi-chaos? How do you find the space to be creative? You can't just decide to be creative. So how does it actually happen? Is it a matter of creating space? Is it, is it a matter of writing things down in a book every day and then looking at them? Is it just happens in the moment? How, how do you think your creative process works? There was kind of a lot there and there's a few different aspects of it. Service is absolutely chaos, but also the creative process itself is chaos. My process is, it's many different ways. Since I started here at ABBA, or am now. We opened it three years ago, and we've since, since opened one more, and we're about to open another one. And we're very fortunate that it's that it's it's so popular. But it being popular isn't like uh, this weekend we will do probably a thousand people a day. Now I never worked in a restaurant; we'll all do a thousand people a day. So the food I will create here demands a different sort of creativity from me than say when I first joined Lettuce and had it was called Intro, where there was a five-month stint as a chef, and it was sort of me showcasing the food I would love to cook, where I love cooking, right? Which is, I would say, California cuisine um, with a lot of foraging. I didn't do a lot of foraging here in Illinois because it was freezing at that time, but I did do a little bit. Uh, so I really expressed, you know, like a lot of the chefs like the terroir of the area, and that's how you feel one with it. And you kind of, through expressing that terroir of the area, you showcase what you want to say with food, whatever that is. And you can be inspired by whatever it might be. If I went, if I went foraging and I found some uh, sarsaparilla root I never really worked with that before, but man, there's a few other forage things around that area that really kind of support a flavor profile, then boom, I'm excited about that dish and I'll pursue that. At ABBA, however, you know, we are a California Mediterranean restaurant. It's a little bit different because I need to be able to make, uh, you know, 350 of each kebab or more. I have to have gallons and gallons of hummus. So it's a little bit faster. So the creative process is, how can I make this three or four movements on the line to make it easier for my line cooks? They only have seven or eight dishes that they're responsible for. 
and how can it still be beautiful, represent our brand, and for me to be proud of it. I mean, I could spend like 20 minutes on each little plate, even of hummus to make it as beautiful as I possibly could, maybe not hummus. So that's where a different sort of aspect of my creativity comes in. And I never thought I'd ever exercise it ever. I was much more serendipity, look up into this, you know, the trees and see patterns and be inspired that way or wake up in the middle of the night, write down in like three cabbage dishes. These things still happen. But as I get older and we're running a business here, I find myself going down different avenues. And that doesn't mean that I still won't have cabbage dreams or even exercise uh, those dishes. But I do have plans to open other restaurants. But for now, my creative process has changed in this way. And do you put pressure on yourself saying, look, the last whatever month, two months, three months, you haven't been that creative. Come on, let's let's right. go again. Or was it external or was it internal? Well, we kind of have a system set up. So like every Tuesday here, I will at noon, I will put up like three or four new dishes. We try to aim for like two that will win, you know, and if I've got a lot of things going on, a lot of travel, I might just put up two dishes. Might just put up two dishes a couple of days ago and they were both sort of victory. So we set in place sort of a schedule of, I guess, creativity. But I'm always thinking, always thinking, always thinking. I also found my creative process is spurred and strengthened. Or like, I didn't even know this until I was on Top Chef, which is, you're unfamiliar, is a competition show where you only have a little bit of time to sort of create something with, you're kind of put in a corner. And I realized that I kind of came alive. And like, when I had like a very little amount of time and my brain worked faster and more accurately when the pressure was on. And since then, that the first time I was only 12 years ago, I just relished like the pressure more and more and more. So I'll kind of make mock situations where I don't know what else I'm doing here on Tuesday to put up before my partners, but I know I'm going to use this, this, and this, and I'll be in that sort of situation. And it said that the things, this, this, and this will be pomegranate, some sort of pumpkin. And then I have a protein. I got to incorporate these things and kind of also have a nod to the food stylistically. Right. So I'll kind of go from there and put myself in a position to, to come up with something like that in that way. So Picasso is supposed to have said, good artists copy, great artists steal. You've lived abroad. Did that make a big difference? Do you spend a lot of time looking at your, I guess, either mentors, competitors, or, or I guess heroes? They're all those things. You love them, hate them, jealous. I, I, at least me anyway. I know I'm not supposed to be envious of people, but I totally have that. And I, I meditate like a lot and I, I really try to like find my serenity and I do have it, but being, I think oftentimes creative, my creative mind gets me very, very passionate. So we're all on Instagram now. And yes, I spend way too many hours. In fact, I think I just got my report and I'm not going to tell you how long I spent on there, but most of it's all chefs. So I am looking at all these people. My time in Copenhagen changed everything because there was an entirely different flavor profile that a kid from Southern California is not used to. And, you know, all of a sudden I'm tasting things like cider vinegar is like pine flavors lots of dill and tons and tons of yogurt these were flavors i didn't really deal with it's kind of great having worked there and i worked in the test kitchen with renee it was a time of life where i was forced to really taste a lot and i don't know if you're into wine or if you love coffee where you've been really really have to focus on tasting 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 if you do that for 14 hours it's totally exhausting it's so hard but you develop a palate in a way that you wouldn't any other way in that regard, I'll have like great memories of my time at Noma and I will taste, I'll never taste things different, like the same ever again, because I focus so hard on it. Like coffee for me is kind of a, 
you know, we always have two or three different types of copy in my house and lots of different mechanical widgets and so forth to make it. And I taste, taste, taste. I think my whole life is tasting now. So, yes, I envy many of their dishes. I'm inspired by many of them. Like, I saw my first pumpkin dish like three days ago because fall is coming. Uh, it was entirely different what I came up with, but everything around you, social media, the breeze, farmers markets, they all inspire. It's like never before, right? The food scene in countless cities in the US, across Europe, around the world has really, really changed. And one of the things, I mean, for me, pre-COVID, Chicago is my second home. And I lived in New York before, oh, but cool. I I Chicago. That. And I, I was very impressed with the Chicago food scene. Yeah. We have um, a new chef because we're opening an ABBA in Miami in summer, 2022. But we, our chef is from Turkey. And he didn't know about much about Chicago. He's like, chef, this food scene here is really good. It's really impressive. You guys have better produce than we do in Miami. I'm like, that's not good news because I'm from Southern California. But yeah, the food scene here in Chicago is great. How much time you spent here? I was doing pre-COVID. I have to say that about everything now, but I was doing huh. almost almost one week a month. I was fighting the jet lag, but I would try and go out and eat because I think it's a great way to see a city and learn yeah. about people. Seeing a busy restaurant, whichever city you're in, I think you get a real feel for what's yeah. going on. So yeah, I would try and go out, go out a lot. And I obviously can't wait to come and visit your restaurants as soon as you we can get into the U.S. again. Who knows now, man? Who knows? Who knows? It's crazy. It's crazy. I suppose I'm getting the sense that you're sort of bottom up. You design the menu you want to design. You don't sort of start with, how am I going to beat the competition? You say, look, I want to do this kind of food. This is what I believe in. Is it? Is it so that would be sort of bottom up. This is the food I want to make and serve. Or this is a very competitive space how am i going to win let's work out how am i going to win which way do you sort of come at it yeah it's very perceptive like for me it's that battle every single day all the time you know because my creative juices want to make something more esoteric but at the same time do they really i like making the customer happy i like making the business strong so we have these key dishes say like our kebabs things that people come here time and time again for and I, we strengthen those all the time. We get feedback all the time, whether it be, unfortunately, Yelp or whatever. Someone just saying, wow, that was fantastic. And we strengthen them. And then that leaves other places in the menu that you can have more fun seasonally with. And you kind of get an ingredient and kind of play with it and see where it fits in the menu, kind of menu mix. Say ABBA is a California Mediterranean restaurant, like I said. We've got like five or six spreads, meaning like hummus and so forth. Then we have some cold mez, a couple different salads, some crudos, three or four, and then some hot mez, say falafel, some crispy potatoes, things like that, kebabs, and some other dishes. So we have this kind of menu mix that's kind of always sort of swirling around and changing, but I'm not changing too much, staying the same, but things are going in and out of each one. I'm constantly aware of what the seasonality is, how things are in Texas, because we have different things that are more popular, more spicy things are more popular there. So everything's kind of turned up a bit with the spice. We have a lot more sort of grilled items there. And then when I open Miami, I'm going to have to consider what the audience has there. Still sticking with what ABBA is and what is, I guess, brand is. And for me, that's a lot of fun, going to new places and playing with new ingredients. And so the process is always changing. I am trying to start with, like, I'm excited about this. And that's how some dishes are created. And at other times, like, comedy like, tough. Let's make these things as best we can. But I know when they're good and they can't be overworked. So I have to be satisfied with that. 
you know the product's good, you believe in the product and, and therefore it'll work versus working backwards from there's a hole in the market, so I need to fill it with that. Sometimes I'll have eaten somewhere else. I think a lot of chefs that travel quite a bit, like when I was sitting last night at dinner with uh, this new chef we had from Turkey, and he was talking about these different types of food in like the kind of like area where he grew up. It sounds so delicious, delicious and no one's ever seen that here. I mean, especially in the Midwest, possibly in New York or where there's some Turkish populations region so chefs that get to actually go travel and see these places can also bring back something that's never been to the market so they'll probably try to do it as close to as what they saw but may not be able to get that ingredient kind of like you know the original sort of immigrants here in america what their food kind of came up with so that's another way where sort of creativity comes into play where like oh i mean i guess that's kind of stealing like you said prior but you'll bring it in and kind of put your little twist on it how do you manage the work-life balance staying on an even keel because i imagine i imagine that's a challenge in your industry and i imagine that's a challenge for you you're a creative person but you're clearly driven you want to win and yet the hours you spend in the restaurant business are pretty substantial how do you stop becoming too obsessed with it how, how do you kind of regulate yourself there well she'll tell me <laughs> <laughs> like i mentioned earlier a large percent or a notable percentage of uh, hospitality is, is left. And I think that's because of COVID and all of a sudden this pause and this race you're talking about. But like, like, we have to stop. We can't go into work today. We can't go in tomorrow or the next day. And there was a good couple of weeks, you know, that I didn't do any work at all. And just the time in general made me think about my time and place in life. I'm a 45-year-old man and now I have a fiance. And that kind of came out of this as well. You know, we've been together for a little while. I just looked at my life, like, what do I want? To be perfectly honest, do I want to spend all the rest of my life in Chicago? I don't. I, I want to be around nature. So now I'm, I'm making a plan to do that. I obviously have obligations here in Chicago. I have two restaurants. So how am I going to make that work? Where am I going to live? I'm trying to figure that out right now. And I'm also trying to think of, like, what kind of restaurant I can be in a place where I want to live, which would be someplace maybe that has produce year-round, I think. Maybe not Southern California because it's so expensive, but perhaps Portland or somewhere Pacific Northwest. I don't know how I'm going to make it happen, but I never knew I was going to make all this happen. So it's sort of like I think a lot of people say they expect to kind of get things. I don't think it's quite expectation at this point, but sort of, I don't know, educated driver or maneuvers to get to where you need to go. And my company's happy with me now. The businesses are doing well. So that's the next step. You asked a very poignant question. Congratulations on your fiance and getting married. So I, I guess we have to touch on COVID. Then I want then I want to ask you about music. So let's do COVID first. Look, the important questions, and these are sort of very important questions for my team and, and our businesses as we think about them. We're investors, so we're thinking about which industries are more impacted by COVID, less impacted, short term, long term. And it's hard to do this, right? It's hard to say, okay, what does this industry look like three years, five years time? But what what do you think could structurally change, whether that is on the product offered, the way it's consumed, the way it's made? Do you think any of those things changes as a result of COVID or it's really just a timing thing before we get back to normal? I think there's a little more time, but I think that my industry in particular, there were so many sort of things coming together that have been, you know, widely talked about. Um, it was Me Too then, like the work environment of everywhere especially kitchens being so tough and working so hard those long hours and generally just kind of like general rudeness, I think, in most kitchens back in the day. 
but also food costs a lot of money. And like what we're experiencing right now is like 20 and 30, sometimes 50% surges in food costs. The whole supply chain is pretty jacked up. How it's all going to pan out, I, I'm not quite sure. I think delivery is still going to stay strong. I don't think it's going anywhere. Our delivery sales here have gone down by maybe 10%, but they're still so strong. We just opened in Austin, Texas. Luckily, a large part of our business is outside, like a lot of places in Austin. We have a strong to-go presence right out of the gates. So I think that will continue to be strong. I'm wondering how delivery will change. I don't have any real forecasts there. I think generally healthier deliverable food will be a lot more prevalent. And I think we're going to see a lot more companies like go like green or sort of green, or at least a lot more response, but I don't think they're going to have a choice. Yeah, we, we would agree with that. I, th- I think a lot of that chimes with how we're thinking. I think delivery, yes. I think shift to healthier, shift to I want to know a lot more. I, I just want to know, know a lot more about what I'm consuming. Right. And I think that's just not food. That's just across the board. Now, what I hope is that through all this and like seeing how much restaurants and restaurant employees have struggled and continue to struggle and will struggle, like more and more will we'll close. I hope that the value for food and dining out, like that moment you go with your, your partner out to eat and you're sitting there, like everything in the entire space is for you in that moment. That costs a lot. There's rent, there's everything. I think things just need to cost more in restaurants. And I know that we need to do that to pay for things currently. I think more of a respect and understanding for how, how much work is put in the process would be my hope to come out of it. Yeah. I guess it's such an experiential product, and I think we've all in COVID been missing our physical touch sensory experiences. Right. And so I, I think there will be, this is my guess, what do I know? I think there'll be a great appreciation of that. You have something yeah. taken away, then you get it back, and you really think about why it is I missed it so much or why I enjoy it so much. Yeah. I mean, it's cool to be outside and it's cold out there and there's snow and you get a little heater and this weird little igloo thing and a guy comes shivering and give you food. But like, I don't want to keep eating like that. Nobody wants that. No server wants to keep doing that. What about that nice cozy place where you you know you're going to get a great meal and you can celebrate something nice, enjoy your partner and it costs money. In my sort of research for doing this interview, I read that I think your favorite burger in Chicago is from Ocheval. I would concur and agree with that. Right. Now, I first time I went to Ocheval, I was blown away by the burger, high expectations. But I also remember as I walked in, they were playing the Smiths, great British band. When you think about and your memories, your experiences, real to real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were, they were exactly, yeah. exactly. Stones came on, David Bowie. Anyway, I'm dating. And it's, and it's loud as shit. That's what's so cool. And it's all like, and you're yeah. away. Like, it's that scene. Well, exactly. But it's you know your memories kind of choose themselves and so you don't just remember the food you remember the experience and the music feeds into the experience i'm just wondering how you think about that whole sort of sensory experience because it's more than just food in some restaurants music isn't appropriate it isn't necessary but in others it really adds to the experience i just wonder because reading about you you are a big music fan i mean slightly more rock heavy rock than than i am but well yeah i mean i'm indie rock kid at heart i love indie to death but I think sometimes people hear more about louder music. I'm not sure, but go ahead. Yeah, so I'm just wondering how you think about that as, as in the total experience and whether that is something you put a lot of thought into in, in your own restaurants. Do we have any music? If we have music, what sort of music? How do we change it? 
It's a tough question because absolutely to answer your question, it's, I think it's so important. And some of my favorite places, the ambiance is so set by the music. Oshaval, them playing like, I've been in there, they're playing Jesus and Mary Chain. I've been there when they're playing, you know, just great stuff. Like, stuff uh-huh. that, like, you know, when you're by yourself and like, it's a, you play, you're playing it pretty loud and you're like kind of getting emotional and like little chills and stuff. But you just walk into Oshaval and they're playing that, you're like, holy shit, this is, this is my place, you know, like that's something that grabs you right away. Ab is a very large restaurant. We play a little bit more like poppy music. We mostly pick songs, I think, for beat cadence, sort of. Not so it's like it's not techno-y, but we have like a service that kind of does it. And also um, there's a guy the company uses that kind of does it. So I'm not like, unfortunately, get to pick and choose what's happening. I could always lobby for like a few different songs, but there's like movements to like brunch music is the same as like. 12 a.m. on Saturday music, obviously. So there's ebbs and flows things, just like there's ebbs and flows to lighting. For me personally, yes, I would like things much louder. It wouldn't really, it wouldn't really make any sense at a restaurant like Abba or Ema, my other restaurant, because there's not that type of restaurant. Ashval is that kind of rock and roll restaurant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, look, I think we are done. And what I want to say is, I can't wait to visit your restaurants. Uh, I love that. Point to have you here. Thank you very much. It's been great having you on the show. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's episode of The Active Share. To hear additional insights from William Blair Investment Management, visit us at blog.williamblair.com. The Active Share is available on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and TuneIn. For questions, comments, or topics you'd like to hear discussed, email us at podcastim at williamblair.com. This content is for informational and educational purposes only and is not intended as investment advice or a recommendation to buy or sell any security or to adopt any investment strategy. Investment advice and recommendations can be provided only after careful consideration of investors' objectives, guidelines, and restrictions. The views and opinions expressed are those of the speakers as of the date of this recording, are subject to change without notice as economic and market conditions dictate, and may not reflect the views and opinions of other investment teams within William Blair Investment Management. Factual information has been obtained from sources we believe to be reliable, but its accuracy, completeness, or interpretation cannot be guaranteed. Any discussion of particular topics is not meant to be comprehensive and may be subject to change. This material may include forecasts, estimates, outlooks, projections, and other forward-looking statements. Due to a variety of factors, actual events may differ significantly from those presented. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Investing involves risk, including the possible loss of principal. Any investment or strategy mentioned herein may not be suitable for every investor. References to specific companies are for illustrative purposes only and should not be construed as investment advice or a recommendation to buy or sell any security. William Blair Investment Management may or may not own any securities of the companies referenced. It should not be assumed that any investment in the companies referenced was or will be profitable.